resurrection. When the most torturous, darkest darkness dawns in the most soothing, healing light. And the mind so rattled settles in slow aftershock, realignment of perspective. When the eyes refocus to peer through the hours of looking away, to be envisioned with the revelation of more than a gardener. And the soul stops tossing, turning, churning up from its sickly desperation and hopeless heartache. To waken up, to take it in, as the earth re-knits after tremoring. And on this firmer understanding, we reach for shimmers like dust caught in sunrise. To catch the splinters flying and piece the fragments of debris into everything new. Never the same again. The dreams dead revived. The hope buried reborn. The vision of a future redeemed. It is the peace after the war zone. It is the resurrection dance after the wake. It is a whole new kingdom coming. The new life starts here. The new life starts here. I stole that from Mike Scott, the songwriter with the band The Waterboys. Somebody pointed that out on Twitter this week, and Mike Scott himself joined the conversation. I was concerned for a moment, and then he said that he'd stolen it from Dante. Whoever it was in the long, long line before I stole it, it describes for me post-resurrection life. Let me take you back. I remember a Saturday night when I was 17. I was sitting in the back of a minibus on the way back from a youth club night out in Portrush. We went up to see the GB weekend, but let's move on from that quickly. I spent the whole 30 miles back to Balamina gazing out at the stars, asking the biggest question of my life. Did God exist or not? I mean, if there was no God, I'd look elsewhere for the meaning of life. But if God did exist, then surely that was the best source to scoop life in all its fullness. When I was thinking about these words, I didn't see the close connection with Nick Cave's There is a Kingdom that David just sang, the starry heavens above me. The moral law within, so the world appears, so the world appears. My world appeared that night. At least it was reconfigured, realigned, redeemed, resurrected if you like. Wherever my life was heading before that May evening 40 years ago, it was completely redirected after it. And so here I stand. It's a bit the same with Thomas. Oh, the last three years of Thomas's life has already been a life that he didn't expect. But if he thought that these three years with Jesus was something, then he'd seen nothing yet. After this meeting with the risen Jesus, a whole new world appeared. The new life starts here, Thomas. If we scour our eyes across the gospel according to John, 
John is incredibly interested in this word life. Life appears 47 times in John's account of Jesus' life. If we go right back to the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Then near the end of the gospel. In the passage that Jean read to us earlier. John is declaring that the whole point of the whole thing is about life. Let me read the words again. Verses 30 and 31 of John chapter 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Then if we look right bang in the middle of the gospel, we find Fitzroy's motto, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John was trying to say something about what this life was. It could easily be translated on occasions eternal life or abundant life. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, and indeed any of my college friends listening in the radio right now are having a core laugh at that as a very an idea in itself. But I've come to believe as I look at the contexts of the use of the word life in John's gospel, that he's talking about a life that is full of quantity, but also full of quality. There is an eternal life dimension, but Jesus is never about a life that doesn't begin until we're dead. The new life starts here. Jesus came among us to show us this life, to give us this life, and then send us on our way to live that life. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you in our reading this morning. It was a life that's based in Jesus himself, who said in another part of John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was the life of the original design. The life we humans were supposed to live, but somehow in our own arrogance lost. That story in Genesis puts it well, does it not? And in an idyllic garden, humans were tempted to be like God. We reached to be more than we were supposed to be, and ended up less than the humans that we were created to be. In trying to be like God, we became godless. No, I don't mean godless in some life of debauchery and sin, though often that can come from it. I mean godless. Life minus God's input, minus God's infusion. We had lost God. We had lost meaning. We lost life in all its fullness. Jesus' incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension are all about putting that to rights. When Thomas cries, my Lord and my God, he's no longer without God. The God life, the new life, the resurrected life starts here. So maybe then this morning we need to ask ourselves, what does this life look like? And let us not look at it in some ethereal place. 
How does it look after the Easter that we've just had? The Christians murdered in Sri Lanka on Easter weekend. And Lyra McKee. Those are two but contemporary events that seem to fly in the face of these all this Easter talk. Jesus never said that everything would be neat and tidy and clean with lots of Schlur and Battenberg cake. The post-resurrection life was vital to be able to live in a world that would have wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and whatever else we're going through in our lives. It is into such a world that resurrection life needs to kick in. As Pete Gregg put it in God on Mute, in his book God on Mute, whenever life gets tough and we cry out to God for help, our desire is always to be airlifted out of the theatre of war. But more often than not, instead of airlifting us to safety, God parachutes down to join us in the muck and the chaos of our situation. It's into these very places that the new life needs to start. Fourteen years ago this very week, I was interviewing songwriter Ricky Ross of Deacon Blue for my radio show at the time, Rhythm and Soul. He brought his new album into the studio and he reached it across the desk to me. It was called Pale Rider. And he told me that I would like a track on it called Calvary, that it was a song about Christmas. Ricky went on to explain that when he was growing up, he noticed that in the church that he went to, that as soon as Jesus was born, they had him on the cross. Ricky thought that there was maybe parts of Jesus' life and teaching in between that we should stop and consider before we got to the cross. Immediately I started to think about the difference between a road and a route, or a route as our American friends might call it. Novelist Milan Kundera says of roads and routes, A route differs from a road, not only because it's solely intended for vehicles, but also because it's merely a line that connects one point with the other. A root has no meaning in itself. Its meaning derives entirely from the two points that it connects. A road is a tribute to space. Every stretch of the road has meaning in itself and it invites us to stop. I realize that if we have Jesus on a route to the cross, then we miss the road of his teaching in life. The destination therefore becomes meaningless as we have no idea to, what to do when we get there. My take on it is that we have to follow Jesus, as the disciples were invited to do. As we follow Jesus down the roads of Galilee, Samaria and Jerusalem, we can pick up all his insights. Like fruit off a tree that we should put in the baskets of our souls. Well, what would go into the basket, I hear you ask? Well, all those lessons. The last will be first. Let's put it in the basket of our souls. Give up your life to find life. Put it in the basket. Store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Pick that fruit. Wash each other's feet. Touch lepers. Eat with tax collectors. Befriend prostitutes. Sit down with Samaritan woman. Love your God. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Baskets full. Then we can follow Jesus through the cross and out the other side of resurrection to live the fruit of that kind of life. 
The new life starts here. The resurrection life. How then should we live? Well, I think there are marks of this resurrection life. Let me give you three incredibly quickly. The resurrection life reimagines. Jesus asks us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Now that takes some imagining, but that's what we need to be about. Secondly, grace interrupts. When you do this to least, when you do this to the least of these, Jesus said, you do it to me. When we serve those who don't deserve to be served, when we love the marginalized, then we bring grace interruption, unmerited favor, God-like love. And the third one is hope breathe. Empty tombs, resurrections, and rumors of a glory to come. We are the hope breathers. We believe in hope. The resurrection people believe in breathing hope into whatever the situation So let me finish with a story of one man who reimagined, who grace interrupted, and who breathed hope into our own Northern Irish troubles. In March 1988, tensions in Belfast were higher than maybe ever before. In the midst of the darkness, one man was not prepared to let the killing go on. He reimagined. He grace interrupted. And he breathed hope onto the streets of the neighborhood around him. The man was Father Alec Reed, a redemptorist priest based in Clonard Monastery that we in Fitzroy know so well, just off the Falls Road. When Michael Stone opened fire and threw grenades into a crowd of mourners at an IRA funeral, Father Reed was standing there, wanting to get between Stone and the crowd that were now intent in murdering Stone. The new life can lead us into some pretty dangerous places. A few days later and Father Alec was back in the funeral cortege of those that Stone had murdered. During this funeral, two members of the British Army found themselves in the midst of a tense crowd. And when a gun appeared, the crowd thought another Stone incident was about to go down and dragged the soldiers from the car. Father Alec tried to get between the angry crowd and those soldiers. At one point on his knees with his arms around them. He was threatened with his own life if he didn't move away. And a short time later, Father Alec was photographed in a back alley giving one of the dying men the kiss of life and last rites. In the dark despair, Father Reed's imagination was working out how to interrupt all this senseless bloodshed. Though he failed to give the soldier the kiss of life, He was giving the kiss of life to the country at that very moment. Because the reason that Father Alec was at the funerals was to receive a letter. It was now covered in the blood of British soldiers. But it was the conditions by which Sinn Féin would go into talks with John Hume to begin the peace process that we all benefit from today. Father Alec went back to Clonard, changed the envelope and drove the letter up to Derry and handed it to John Hume. The rest is literally history. A history reimagined, grace interrupted, and hope breathed by a man living the resurrection life of Jesus, bringing in the kingdom, God's will on earth, as it is in heaven. All of us need to live that new God-infused resurrection life. The darkness is crying out for us 
to be particles of Jesus' light across our land. In a country divided by how we see the past and trapped in the wounds of what we have done to one another, we all need to be conduits of God's love in this troubled place. At this landmark that I have called the Lyra McKee Crossroads, we need to live life in all its fullness. Jesus has risen. Thomas believes it. My Lord and my God, he cries. The new life starts here.